Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with Amy Wees. And this is Seller Roundtable number 131. We are super excited to have Kim Meckwood on. Kim, welcome. Thanks so much for being on today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So Kim, the way that we always like to start our show is to get uh, a decent amount of background. You don't have to give us, you know, the 20 minutes, you know, intricate, you know, about, about how uh, Mikey in eighth grade wouldn't give you a hug back. We don't need to go that deep, but we love to hear kind of where you're born, where you grew up, um, you know, kind of your hard knocks, school work, kind of what your life journey was until today. All right. Well, um, I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Everyone knows Scranton because of the office. And uh, I went to school here for two years and then transferred out to school in California. And I've been in California for 30 years. So I live in Los Angeles. And let's see, went to San Diego State, um, lived in San Diego for eight years, then now another 22 in Los Angeles, went into pharmaceuticals, then medical device sales, and now I'm an inventor. Awesome. I love that. Um, so one of the other things, you know, when, whenever people watch a lot of the e-com world, a lot of the entrepreneurial world, they always see the like glitzy stuff, right? The, the, the big parties in Las Vegas, the limos, you know, the, the, the fluff, right? So what I would love to know is let's start out with some of the early challenges that you kind of had to overcome in terms of, you know, getting, getting your, your, from your idea to maybe your prototype to your invention, kind of what were the, some of the early challenges on that journey? Gosh, there were so many. So the first was actually getting a working prototype and or actually getting the motivation to move forward with my invention. So at the time I was, selling a drug for Parkinson's disease. And one of my doctors at USC, um, she's one of my best friends to this day, but she said to me, will you shut up and stop talking about this and do something about it? So I did. She happened to have a neighbor who was studying her master's for product design at the Pasadena Design School. So I called Audrey and I um, I hired her to help me with a 3D CAD print. Plus the Pasadena Design School actually had a 3D CAD that um, enabled me to make inexpensive prototypes. So I went through nine different iterations before I came upon the winner. So then the next challenge came into play. The next challenge was getting a mold made. So I sent $5,000 over to China to have a mold made and received the product and it didn't work. There were some modifications that needed to be made. Those modifications were made. I filed for a patent. The next, the next obstacle, it took about three years for the first utility patent because at the time we had a recession and the patent office didn't have a whole lot of employees. Um, made another modification, ended up getting a second patent and um, then it was time to launch the product. So those were the early obstacles. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, would love to know, you know, how you kind of came up with the product. And as you did that, you know, a lot of people, was it, did you convince yourself early on, this is going to be a great product home run, like it's going to, it's going to rock or were there sign of, a lot of self-doubt or, you know, early, early uh, challenges in terms of not only convincing other people that it was a great idea, but just convincing yourself that it was a great idea. So, 
I'm an inventor. So no, I never thought it was a bad idea. I always thought it was fabulous. Of course, that's how inventors are. Um, but there were a million naysayers around me. And just, just for reference, I want to show you what Click and Carry is. So this is Click and Carry, and it's a simple handle device that helps shoppers to manage and carry multiple bags at once. Now, I developed it for groceries, but people use it as a ski boot tote which you would need in Idaho for dry cleaning, for paint cans and construction pails. You could walk multiple dogs at once. And then once you get at home, it's a stand for your phone or iPad. And I'll quickly show you how it works. You twist it open and you load the handle bags onto each side. Each side takes 40 pounds for a total of 80. And then you click the top back in so the bags are locked into place and you could carry it in your hand or better. You wear it and your hand's free. So the reason I invented it is because I had this amazing boyfriend and when we broke up and I had to carry my own groceries and I knew there had to be a better way. <laughs> so that's where click and carry was born. And originally it was just the bottom section and it actually worked. It was perfect. But the problem is when you set the bags down, they would pop out because there was nothing to lock it into place. So the next iteration actually had a two had two pieces with a magnet in the center, and that would have worked well. But as a dad of three young kids, um, a kid could get hurt on it or help you to lose one piece or the other. So I knew it had to be a single unit, and um, it's actually patterned after a Brett, and uh, this became the winner. So when it's locked into place, it looks like a boomerang. Otherwise, it's an X, and that's how Click and Carry was born. I love it. Uh, what it reminds me of when it, when I went on your website and kind of uh, took a peek around is it reminds me in like you, 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 you looking like, you know, I'm old enough. I'm going to date myself here to know what national geographic magazine was. My parents had it around and I was always like thumb through it. And it reminds me of, you know, probably like in India or Brazil where women are carrying like these giant things with a stick kind of over their shoulder, kind of balancing it. That, that was kind of like, it looked like the modern version of that. Uh, so I, I thought that was, that dope. was interesting. Yeah. And the other thing I thought it was, that it was, you know, some of the most simple ideas are some of the greatest ideas. And, uh, it also made me chuckle because my dad and I always have this joke about, we don't want to take more than one trip from the car into the home when it comes to bringing groceries in. So like my dad and I are experts at literally getting like, you know, like as many bags on each finger as we can while we're like, you know, supermanning it into the house. So I think that's, uh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, something that, um, I think a lot of people that I've talked to think that you need some kind of like, you need to be special or super smart or something like that to come up with an idea like that. What do you say to those people who, you know, think that you need to need some kind of superpower to, to come up with great ideas? I say anyone could do it. If I can do this, anyone can do it. And this sounds ridiculous. Here I am, um, bad talking some guys but a different boyfriend had a patent his name was shaheen and i thought to myself if this guy could get a patent a utility patent i can do it too anyone can do this if you have the determination and you really believe in yourself and the utility of your product you need to go for it but remember there are going to be a million naysayers along the way you just have to keep going and just ignore them if you really think that you have something special do it and um you know listen to some of the feedback because I've listened to a lot of feedback from my customers and I've made corrections on my click and carry, but don't let them defeat you. Just keep believing in yourself and your product. Anyone could do it. Yes. That. that is such, I mean, I feel like we should go out on that question, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not done yet. So, you know, 
I want to talk about product development because that's one of the biggest things that people struggle with. If they have an idea for a unique product, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, if it's not just a simple differentiation, if it's something new and kind of never seen before, it seems very scary to kind of develop it. So can you talk a little bit about how you got started developing this product? Uh, You said, you know, when you started, it was just like the two pieces. So talk a little bit about like, how the idea kind of came to you and then like how you started prototyping and you know how you got molds made like how did you know how to do all these things and what did you do during your product development process so a couple of different ways the first is um like i said before my friend jennifer told me to shut up and stop talking about it and do something about it and i did and here's advice to all of your listeners there's so many resources available to you out there for example i actually utilized a student who was studying product design for her masters at the Pasadena design school so i was able to hire her at an inexpensive rate versus in the real world hiring a real product engineer Um, There is the Small Business Association, there is SCORE, which are CEOs who help other business owners with, they impart their knowledge to the new up and coming business owners. There's the PTRC, which is the Patent and Trademark Resource Center. Every single solitary state has one and librarians at the, at the Patent and Trademark Resource Center are taught to help people do a patent search, um, to write their patent, to figure out how to do their renderings, which are necessary in the patent process. So there are a ton of different ways you can get help from your community, even local colleges. I mean, there's so many students who are interested in helping entrepreneurs because they're going to get credit for their classes, plus they're going to learn something on your dime. So there are so many different amazing resources. And then for me, like I said, I worked with Audrey, so I paid her a certain amount and we worked on the 3D CAD renderings and it took us nine tries until we we made it to the finish line. And um, gosh, um, it was important for me to have the physical uh, 3D CAD printed model because I really needed to see it to because I think in 3D, so I needed to visualize it. That was very helpful to me. But I knew that once I had the winner, the one that I knew was gonna work and believe it or not, the real win is that there's a male female part in here that makes the click noise. Um, That's what locks the click and carry into place. So that's the important piece. Um, On the ninth one, that's when I I said, I need need some some sort of function like this. And that's when I knew it was time to go and get a mold made in China. I couldn't afford to make a mold in the United States at the time. And I still can't. I still work with a Chinese manufacturer. How did you even know to go to China? Like how, how did somebody tell you that? Like, how did you know to look for molds in China? Yes. Great question. Um, so first there's a book called mom inventors handbook, um, by Tamara Manasov. And it's basically, a how to get your product to market. And I used that as a guide initially, but as luck would have it, the guy across the hall for me, I live in a condo in Los Angeles. The guy across the hall worked for Ty, the Beanie Baby company. And um, he introduced me to his factory and he um, he's the one who introduced me and helped me to get it manufactured. So so that that was back in the early days of Zoom. And um, it, it's, it's been a, an, an interesting adventure ever since. 
And I know something that I struggled with when I got my molds made was that I didn't know the terminology. Um, you know, yes, I was working with designers and I had all my 3D CAD and all those files and everything, but I didn't know what to look for as far as mistakes. And I also didn't know what needed to be communicated because this was my first product. I didn't know that the slope and the draft on the different parts needed to be a certain way. And, and um, I had no idea. So I got a lot of bad samples in the beginning, um, bad rough samples. And I think it meant much of it was because I didn't know and I, I didn't know how to communicate and because there's a language barrier there. Did you have any of those um, problems? I did. So my first factory, I had two factories now in China, and I'm currently with my second factory. And that was a referral through a friend, and I'll explain in a minute. But my first factory, they did an okay job. They were fine, but there was not consistency in the twist portion. So when I went on QVC, the only negative comments I would get is that it's too difficult to open. And that was because of the first mold. So when I was switching factories, what I did is I worked with six Chinese engineers at the new factory. And I also worked with a master tool maker here in the United States because he may not have been a plastics infusion guy, but he's the one who actually built the molds in the United States. He was a master tool maker and he was so helpful. He was just incredible at helping me to modify my, my product. And I went from a five and a half ounce product down to three and a half ounces, which is a huge change as far as shipping. You wouldn't think a small modification like that would make such a difference, but it saves me a lot of money for shipping, number one. But number two, now I have consistency in the twist. So now even someone who has an arthritic hand can open the click and carry. So that's what um, I want to quickly go back to what we were saying about the naysayers. I listened to the the bad feedback from my customers and I made a change. So you have to constantly do that with your invention over time as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I had to do the same thing also because I learned hard lessons in shipping volume and I had to shrink it down. So never, never give up on that. So you mentioned that you got on to QVC when you first launched it, I guess, um, you know, my next question is what made you decide to try out for Shark Tank? But before we get to that, um, you decided to not license the product, but to bring it to market. And where did you start selling it? Like, let's talk about that before you started to try out for Shark Tank. Sure. So I sold it locally. I would sell it in local gas stations and grocery stores. And we have something called the Pasadena um, flea market, 20,000 people go there one Sunday a month and farmer's market. So we do things like that and get feedback and, and to start to do my thing. And, um, when I ultimately ended up leaving my job to do this full-time now I've, I've exited my job twice to do this full-time I'm back to doing click and carry full-time, which is a big deal to me. But, um, the first time when I quit, I, um, 
I did a trade show in Chicago called the Home and Houseware Show, and it was complete magic. I was in a small section called Inventors Corner, and they had a mock shark tank with various vendors. And unbeknownst to me, I was discovered by QVC there. So what happened is that parlayed into a talk show it was the Bethany Frankel Show. And Bethany Frankel is the um, skinny girl margarita girl. And she brought me on her show. It was, her show was ending at the time and she had a segment each week called Bethany in Your Business. And I, I agreed to go on. I was thrilled to go on because I think she's pretty great. I admire her and her, her skill. And I think she's, she's a shark. She's just amazing. Um, so I went on because I thought I was going to get some advice from her and maybe a small five or $10,000 stipend. And instead I was presented with a contract with QVC by David Venable and Lisa Robertson at the time. So it was a really big deal to me and it really got me started. It really put me out there in the market. So just to sum that up, you basically started knocking on doors in the beginning. You're like, I'm going to sell this to whoever's going to buy it. I'm going to, you know, just going out there to gas stations. Hey, I got this product. Can you carry it in your station? This kind of thing selling it to everybody and, and you did the mark cuban in the beginning and then and then after that which is like mad respect anybody would have mad respect for that and then you went to a trade show which really you you were shown off there in inventors corner and you were able to be recognized there and that's what got you your break for qvc okay then what made you decide it seems like you're on a good path what made you decide to try out for shark tank Oh boy. Well, that was my dream. I loved that show. I think it's just a phenomenal show and it's a great way to get PR because I know that when people see Click and Carry, they realize, oh, I could use that. That's really going to help. But if they don't know about it, then no one's going to buy one. So that was just a great platform to really spread the word and to share my invention with the world. So that's why I really wanted to be on Shark Tank. Plus, I love the sharks. I think it's just a phenomenal show. And I always have, even from the beginning, I actually started applying in season two and I made it all the way to working with the producers. And at the 11th hour, they decided not to take me. So I just continued to try and try and try again. So it turns out to this day, I hold the record for the most attempts ever to get on the show, which was seven or eight. And um, I finally made it on. Love that. And, you know, tell us about that Shark Tank experience, you know, where you, you tried out a bunch of, of times, you know, but what was it like to actually be there? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I, I don't know if I should be embarrassed or proud that it took me so many times to get on, but I wasn't going to give up because it's just an awesome show. But it was both the scariest and the most exciting day of my whole life. And um, I was so nervous. I actually physically ran out of saliva. I had to leave the stage at one point to grab a sip of water. But um, it was it was just amazing. Um, all of All of the things that I studied for the most part, it was in there, but I did forget a few things. For example, I messed up my pitch in the beginning. I was supposed to say, and juggle all that life has to throw your way. And the only thing that could come out of my mouth was, and juggle. And then I finally came to my senses. And while the unicyclist you know, was juggling, I said, and juggle all that life has to come your way. But it was definitely delayed. And the bad news is the whole time I kept thinking, oh, you messed up. You messed this up. And so psychologically, that was damning in the beginning but otherwise everything was pretty smooth and um, all the sharks talk over each other so it was interesting trying to herd them and um 
answer their questions without offending one or the other. Um, but it, it was uh, it, it was quite an experience. It was really exciting and fun and one of the best days of my whole life. Yes, I can imagine. Um, I'm pretty good at public speaking, but I can imagine I would be super nervous in that kind of situation. So something that I learned from you that really surprised me is that Shark Tank deals aren't immediate. So like you've got a deal on the Shark Tank, um, but it doesn't happen right away. And so obviously you might not be able to talk about all of it on a podcast, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about how Shark Tank deals kind of work. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.